This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock bands on Freeza Geese. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreaks, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreaks, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jaginiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode where I chatted about the Levon Helm Studio Show on June 27th and the two nights the band played at the Frederick Fairgrounds in Frederick, Maryland on June 29th and 30th. There is a link in the show notes where you can give that a listen. And if you missed my chat with Michael Palmisano about his first Umfree show and sit in with the band on June 30th, check out episode 158. There is a link in the show notes for that. And you can also watch our chat on the show's YouTube page. And in case you didn't know, um, you can also watch the Levon Helm Studio show on Nugs when you go on there. And it has the list of the songs played at the show. It'll either say listen to show, something similar to that, or watch video. Um, And then you click watch video and you can watch the whole evening. So check that out also if you haven't yet. This week on the show, I am very excited to welcome drummer for Turquoise and Death Kings and fellow Buffalonian Mikey Karuva. Mikey and I talk about a ton of topics like Peach Festival and Turquoise's Remain in Light set with Adrian Ballou and Jimmy Harrison, all of the projects that he's been working on. I mean, this guy is always up to something. We, of course, talk about Death Kings with Stasic and Mike Ganser, who have both been on the show also talking about Death Kings. If you missed those episodes 154 and 146, there are links in the show notes for those. They will be making their stage debut at Summer Camp Music Festival this year, and we talk about that as well. And stay tuned for more on the final release date of their album. I know they're excited. We're all excited. So stay tuned for that. Mikey and I also talk about what being from a big family and Buffalo, New York has done for his career, what he likes to do when he's not banging on the drums, what he never leaves for tour without, and the greatest piece of advice that he's ever received. We, of course, talk about Umphreys McGee and how they inspire him and what he'd like to replace Chris on the kit for. We also talk about when Turquoise opened for Umphreys McGee and the Led Zeppelin set that happened that year at Red Rocks in 2019. He also tells me about the most important drummers in his life, Nikki Gillespie and Robert Sput Searwrights, who I, neither one of them, I was very familiar with prior to my conversation with Mikey. So that was fantastic to learn about these two incredible humans and drummers. 
um, from him. And now I've been looking more into their careers and their music and everything and just them as people. So that was really cool to uh, learn about some two new, very awesome people. So that was cool. And we also talk about how seeing Yanni live in concert when he was young confirmed for him that playing drums was his life purpose. That's such an awesome story too. We talk about so much and this was just a really fun conversation to have. I want to say a huge thank you to Mikey for taking the time as we talk about both being from Buffalo and Mikey and I actually went to the same middle school, um, eighth, ninth, and part of 10th grade um, before I moved. And we just discovered all sorts of other crazy small world things during our chat. Just so awesome and so much fun. I haven't talked to Mikey seriously since like eighth, ninth grade or something. So (laughs) to be able to catch up later in life where we both are now is pretty incredible and pretty fucking crazy honestly so (laughs) thank you so much to Mikey like this was such a blast and I can't wait to see what you have up your sleeve now that you're back in Buffalo what's up I'm Freeze McGee fans it's Joel hope you're doing well got a very special announcement for you today we are going to be doing a four-part podcast series with Sarah J dropped amongst this crowd podcast called Tales from Scamp going over all the greatest hits of summer camp over the years. You're going to hear lots of stories from summer camp, tales past, stories including Humphreys and Huey Lewis, Gene Ween, lots of other cool stuff. So in celebration of 20 years of summer camp, I hope you'll join us in uh, checking these out. It was a lot of fun making them. Lots of great stories. We'll see you at summer camp 2021. Before we get into my chat with Mikey, some Umphreys news to pass along. A new show has been added by the band November 11th at the Truman in Kansas City, Missouri. Tickets went on sale last Friday, July 31st, but you can find a link in the show notes for where you can snag tickets if they're still available. A former car dealership and machine shop turned into Kansas City's most unique concert and event venue. This will be the first time the band plays there. So I'm excited to hear what people think about that. Ben Factor recently posted about a blog that he wrote about the Red Rocks design process of the lights. A quick read with a bunch of great information and diagrams about what Ben was using during the three nights on the rocks where his inspiration came from as well. There is a link for that in the show notes if you'd like to give that a read. And if you miss when Ben was a guest here on the show, episode 109, there is a link in the show notes for that as well. Humphreys announced last week that they will be releasing Mantis on pink vinyl as a part of this year's 10-band One Cause to support Red Door Community, a New York City nonprofit cancer support organization helping everyone and anyone impacted by cancer. This is the eighth year for the initiative that has raised over $250,000 for Red Door In addition to Umphreys McGee, this year we'll also see pink vinyl limited edition releases by The Hold Steady, Granddaddy, The Allman Brothers, Bush, Plain White Tees, Less Than Jake, Primal Scream, 
minus the bear and Tom Tom Club. There is a link in the show notes for Red Door Community, 10 Bands, One Cause, and where you can snag your Pink Mantis vinyl. And lastly, Brendan and Jake are returning to the Cubby Bear in Chicago, Illinois for a rescheduled date on Thursday, November 4th. The original date set was for May 7th, 2020. And if you have tickets for that date, they will be honored at this show. Tickets went on sale last Thursday, July 29th, and I'm certain that it sold out. I'm recording this before they go on sale, um, but I'm pretty sure they're going to sell the hell out. Um, But you'll still find a link for all the info you need in the show notes. If you can't make this new date and would like to request a refund, shoot an email to melissa at duffentertainment.com. That's melissa at D-U-F-F. E-N-T-E-R-T-A-I-N-M-E-N-T dot com. Do you create shirts, pins, jewelry, stickers? Maybe you make screen prints or sell other interesting products or art that you think peeps would love to get their hands on? Is your band looking to get some attention from fellow music-loving umfreaks? Maybe you provide an awesome service that could make folks' lives better or easier and want some like-minded clientele? Are you looking to hire some cool people to work with? Perhaps you have a rad idea for a podcast or some other creative idea that you think the community would love? Dropped Among This Crowd Media Company would love to help with space available on our podcast network for your Umphreys-related show idea, social media promotion of your band, commercial spots here on this show, as well as the other podcasts on the network, and more, Dropped Among This Crowd Media Company can help you be seen, heard, and reach tons of fellow Umphreaks, musicians, and other kind folks. Want to know more or have a question? Shoot an email to droppedamongthiscrowdpod.com at gmail.com. My name is Mary Welch. I'm an interior designer. This one I think is perfect. I was born and raised in the South, and then I started my design career in New York. And now I'm in Charleston. My husband, Ryan, is a rock star, not just figuratively as a dad and a husband, but literally in a band named Umphreys McGee and another band called Doom Flamingo. A typical morning for me involves yoga or workout of some sort because I need to calm it down, center myself, get grounded, and then I can start focusing and kind of think through things more logically. But I'm also a mom and I have kids, so silence and stillness are unheard of. So, you know, you just have to roll with punches. Today I'm surfing with my girlfriend Heidi. I've been learning how to surf this summer and I absolutely love it. I mean, I'm terrible. Charleston doesn't have the best waves, but it's still so fun to just get out there and learn something new. Besides, I like taking on new challenges. 
I love Charleston. This is my home now, and I do truly respect Charleston style, but if I'm gonna put a fish in your space, it's probably gonna have a mohawk on it. I would like to say I'm crazy, fun, and a little bit weird, but in the best ways possible. So here is my chat with drummer Mikey Karuba. You seem like you're always up to lots, though. I try to stay busy. I yeah. try to, I, I don't, I sit well, I sit still well for about two weeks. <laughs> and then I absolutely lose my mind after that. So you so, were uh, not doing well in 2020 then? Well, lucky enough, like I moved to, I was using North Carolina as a stopover because I was moving from Denver to Nashville. And I moved from Den out of Denver uh, in December of 2019 and had put my stuff into storage and was scouting a place in Nashville to move to. And then COVID hit. Um, but I was in North Carolina because my entire family is there. Now they have all moved out of Buffalo and all of the new businesses that we have are all based out of North Carolina. That's so funny. So Cause I was COVID born hit. and raised in North Carolina. So that's really funny. <laughs> where? Uh, where? Well, my dad was in the military. So Camp Lejeune is where I grew up. So crazy. <laughs> that's so crazy um, so my brother's company is based in North Carolina and uh, I had had experience working in his industry so when it looked like the first few months was like I just sort of like sat and waited just because I didn't no one knew like how long this was all going to last mm -hmm. I was comfortable like sitting and waiting for a few months and I got to be around my two young nephews that otherwise if COVID hadn't happened, I would have spent very, very little time with them. And instead, you know, the, the, the first few months of COVID just sitting, I was able to spend a ton of time with them and, and sort of watch them be raised and also have a hand in raising them. And that has meant the world to me. It's something I never would have been able to experience otherwise. So I was okay with, just sort of sitting and, and not knowing, but then when it really, the picture became clear that COVID was gonna be a bit more of a long haul, uh, my brother was like, well, look, you know how to work in my industry. Like, why don't you just come and work, work for me? So I didn't really have to end up sitting. I actually ended up working like 60 hours a week, six days a week for my brother, Tony. And, and you know, I, I stayed busy and, and, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't fester, you know, I just yeah. learned a skill set and kept my life moving forward. And a lot of also other huge blessings just kind of fell in my lap as we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, ultimately it was like, I got, out of, I got out of that one. Okay. Good. That's <laughs> good to hear. Yeah. And it's great that you were able to be with your family. And like you said, be with your nephews, like that's something both of you will carry forever like your nephews exactly. are going to have that time with their uncle they're going to remember yeah. that forever yeah yeah it's very special and family has always been important to me and it's always been hard being a touring musician since i was 17 years old you know i missed a lot of things i missed a lot of things and that can be difficult to bear sometimes but the fact that i got this opportunity and uh and the fact that i had the presence of mind to 
really dig into it um, has made a huge difference in in my life, and I'm, I hope that my my nephews kind of carry that with them too. They will. They definitely will. So, so let's talk about Peach Festival. <laughs> let's let's talk. About- let's talk about Peach Festival. I sadly could not make it, but my goodness, was there a lot of awesome shit that happened at Peach for everybody, but especially for Turquoise. So tell me about all of that. I mean, you played with Adrian Bellow from King Crimson and who is Jerry? I have it right here. Jerry Harrison from the Talking Heads. So talk about how that came together. And then I think Turquoise mentioned the rising or the remain in light show that you guys have coming soon. So talk about that is, that is the show that we played. Okay. Um, And that was the show that we have been putting together since, uh, spring of 2019 that was an idea that came about because jerry harrison from the talking heads um actually produced um a track with us in the studio uh in brooklyn back in 2018 we started working with jerry um it just felt like the right fit because of how influenced the the band's sound has been from the the lineage and the history of the talking heads and so it was natural that um that any member of the talking heads um let alone jerry who's you know had a huge hand in in writing a lot of the tunes and and developing the sound and curating sort of the culture of that band um it made sense for him to to come on board and to sort of uh shepherd us through uh, a period where and we wanted some outside outside influence, you know, for the longest time we have been sort of a insular band and we enjoy the fact that the, the creative process lies within us as a, as a nine person band. There's so many personalities and experiences that draw from artistically that like, it was like, why the, why would we need anybody else? Right. But you know, this, this era came and it was like, let's work with Jerry. And so we worked with Jerry. We had a great experience and the track that he ended up producing was fantastic. Um, and so then after that was released, um, you know, we toured on the record for a while and then, uh, between Dave and management, um, the idea for, for this remain in light show to happen started to kind of percolate because 2020 was the 40th anniversary, uh, of the album remain in light by talking heads. And, that album is, you know, um, pretty widely regarded as um, an album that's um, way ahead of its time. It has some of the Talking Heads' biggest hits on it, um, and from a production and a musicality standpoint, it's it's a very forward-thinking album. And it, you know, as timeless as it is, there's still some things about it that like today a lot of people draw from even whether whether they know it or not and it was because it was the 40th anniversary it seemed like honoring that in some way um felt appropriate and so um we started to draw the plans for doing an entire world tour of of that show with adrian Ballou and jerry harrison and us sort of representing sort of a new talking heads you know, um, and so we had everything on the books. I mean, we, you know, I, I 
I can look back in my Google calendar and see all the spots we were supposed to play. And, you know, we had, um, had a big red rock show planned. And so when everything got canceled, it kind of hurt, it hurt really bad. It stung, you know, this was sort of like the biggest, most ambitious thing that we had planned. And, uh, just like everybody else, it was a real unexpected kind of just kick in the teeth. Um, you know, I sort of have to give a lot of credit to uh, my management team and 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 Jerry and Adrian and um, and also the the festival promoters that that really wanted to get back to what we had been doing and and having the foresight and the courage to to throw a festival. I mean, it's a, it's a risky thing in general, without a pandemic, throwing a festival is a risky thing. There's so mm-hmm. much involved. And, mm-hmm. uh, when we learned that we were going to be doing this at Peach, it really lit a fire, the, the, the reignition of that fire, because we had the first, the first ignition of that was back in 2019, when they were like, you're going on a world tour with the guys from the Talking Heads. It was like, we were on the bus just freaking out, as you yeah. can imagine. Yeah. You know? Um, that's an exciting thing to hear. Uh, and so when we learned that, like, after all we had been through, it was, it was, it was, it was, it had just been sort of displaced and moved forward. And then we still had this thing to look forward to. So, um, and we knew that Peach was going really big, that they were, you know, they had received the okay to be at full capacity, which was so exciting. And, so we uh, locked ourselves down and at Telefunken Sound Studios in uh, just outside of Hartford, Connecticut for the week before Peach. And Adrian and Jerry came in and we were all just hoteled up around the, around the area. And every day we went in for a week and we had long, long days. We were there from, you know, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And it was a blast. I mean, to be in a situation where you're around those kinds of guys uh, for that long, it's not, inevitably, it's not just all work. You get to play a little bit and you you get to talk over lunch and dinner breaks and coffee breaks. And and Adrian Ballou, who is just such a warm hearted uh, human being, he has a very beautiful, childlike nature about him he's still very playful with music he still understands that we're playing music and that word is very important to him um and he's just so jolly and he like makes dad jokes and like (laughs) he's just pulls his guitar out and he just fucking melts the room down you know (laughs) and to get to get to stand around him and at a coffee break and have him tell stories to all of us and we're all like little puppies just like looking at him like listening to these stories and he's talking about this tour that he did in 1990 with David Bowie where it was just him and David Bowie on a private jet doing 106 shows in 27 countries and they would walk off of a stage and get into a limo and go right to a private jet where there was a stewardess with a lemon drop martini waiting for the both of them and they would just fly off to the next amazing location and hearing him just like talk about this it puts you as as an artist and as uh and as a fan too in this place where you're just fully washed over with 
with the the history and the nostalgia and the importance of what they have done and also sort of the the torch that us as turquoise are bearing forward um you know david byrne has american utopia which is his show which is like incredible but you know i don't really foresee A, a full reunion for them and so in that in that to me personally like we're sort of passing on this torch and we're, we're charged with representing this music in a faithful and, and respectful manner and so to be in that environment put all the band in a real uh, engaged work mode in 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 putting our very best foot forward at every moment with this music so when it came time for Peach Festival to happen, everything was just buzzing. Everything well, was just like, you know what I mean? The energy, yeah. It was it was really, really palpable. And, you know, Jerry and Adrian were so excited because they hadn't performed this music live in a very long time. I mean, some of us, most of us weren't born. Most of us in the band weren't born when they did the first tour of this album, you know, the, the live in Rome in 1980, I'm the oldest guy in the band and I was born in 85. These wow. guys have, you know, not performed this album as a concert in, in that long. And you could feel their nervous childlike excitement, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, right before us was Oysterhead and, we you know, the members of our band got to go up on the side stage because that's you know, the main stage was locked down for that but we share management with those guys and uh so they were like why don't you come up and hang out with us on stage and so to stand there we knew that peach was a, a big festival with a lot of people there and it was going to be probably one of the biggest audiences we had played for i, mean, I think they sold thirty-five thousand tickets um and so a lot of us had that nervous energy, but the second that we went up and stood side stage and we're watching Trey and Les and Stuart Copeland just have a ball and to look out at the crowd and to see all those people, uh, it actually, and we all sort of said this together, it relaxed us a lot. And so, because it was like the, the, the sheer magnitude of it wasn't a shock this first time we walked on stage, we kind of walked out hung out during oyster head we're able to take in sort of the gravity of the situation um so when we walked out on stage we were just ready to go and uh the i remember the first 15 minutes of that show all these people just like freaking out and you know, part of your body and your mind sort of goes on autopilot because you've rehearsed so much. You've been doing, you know, 10 hour days for the last seven days. And you're just in this moment of just like pure ecstasy. And it was really, really wild. And then, and then all of a sudden I, I, I really sort of remember everything just sort of, everything else just sort of became wallpaper. And it was just, so the band in front of me and I had someone that was in the audience that, that, uh, that I wanted at the show and was at the show and everything is just sort of, tunnel visioned into that and uh it became just like a a 
it was one of the best experiences in my life. I'm not going to try to use any funny words to describe it. It was one of the best experiences in my life and I'll never, ever forget it. That's incredible. That's all it, I have. It sounds like <laughs> it, like I saw the picture and I'm like, of course we have to talk about this because what an incredible experience. And then to hear that whole story, like, wow, <laughs> that's all I can really say right now. It's just, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have much more to say that other than that either. It was a very wow moment. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. What an awesome experience yeah. for you as a music fan, but also as a musician, like, yeah. wow. You work for moments like that and you don't, you know, you're never guaranteed those moments. And when they come, you have to just be so present to experience it and then grateful because, uh, you know, you don't know if you're going to get something like that again you know, that could be the last show I ever play. And if it is, it was great, you know? Yeah, for sure. Wow. So <laughs> incredible. <laughs> That's right. Very cool. Well, I personally don't know a lot about Turquoise at all. And you've, like you said, you've got nine members. So there's a lot of personalities and a lot of influence and a lot of background and all of these different things. So Tell me some more about just Turquoise as a whole and tell me how you guys make it work with so many personalities and ideas. Well, hmm. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of time and a lot of miles, which any family or tribe or group just that's how you figure out what your what your ml what your mo is what your operating level is is there was nine of us i mean it was 11 of us in the beginning um you know eli and fro from dopapod which was my first band my original band okay uh, eli and i started dopapod okay. um and then turquoise kind of came along to both of us when we were at Berkeley College of Music in Boston in 2006, seven, eight, those sort of early aughts. Um, and it was so bombastic and wild and fun and sort of delightfully like out of control that like we just had to be a part of it. And so we were, and it remained that way for sort of a while. Um, and I was really attracted to it and <clears throat> it seemed more like the right fit for me than, than, than Dopapod was. And so that was sort of where that split happened. And I was able to sort of fully put all of my time into Turquoise and it's, uh, it's just a wild, it's, it's, it's completely illogical that Turquoise exists. It's completely illogical, like to, you know, in a, in a, industry where like the record selling aspect of it, like record sales and record deals, like that's kind of gone. A band that was nine members could exist back then. Cause like they didn't really have to tour that hard and they could sell records to make their money. But like nowadays, this is a tickets and t-shirts industry. You know, mm -hmm. you have to tour. So in the beginning, it was just a lot of just wild roughing it and just being blasted out of our minds on whatever the hell we could find and, and playing the wildest shows we could. And, and that was sort of the, the, the beginning of it. It was just, it was, it was like throwing fireworks in a dumpster. I think someone once said, and it's like a really good, it was just so, 
was just so insane and explosive. Um, and then we really started to find our groove and uh, started to develop our own voice uh, musically and visually. Um, and like I said, it's a lot of time and a lot of miles. You have a lot of experiences with these people. Um, most of it is, 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 is living with each other. If you think about what goes down in the day of a professional musician, a touring musician, we're only doing the professional musician thing for like 90 minutes plus encore every night. Mm-hmm. It's a very small percent of the day. Mm-hmm. The rest of the day, like, where are we going to eat? I want coffee. I have to take a shit. I'm tired. I'm super excited. You have to learn how to navigate just living with people. Mm-hmm. That's that's sort of the way that that you learn to make it work. The thing on stage is the thing that like that's actually the the, the escape. That's the relief. That's the exhale, right of the day. Mm-hmm. That's the blessed day. The rest of it is where you really figure out like, can I make this work with this person because the bulk of it is just dealing with people how they are every day. And it's hard enough to do it with two people Mm -hmm. doing it with nine and then nine plus a crew. You know, we tour with 15 people now. Wow. That's a a lot of personalities. Um, And, you know, the quality of life that we enjoy now touring versus how we did it in 2010 and 2011 is a lot different, which we're very fortunate for. And we worked very hard for it, but you know, um, everybody's got their shit yeah. and you have to learn to deal with it and you choose, you make a choice. Am I going to love this person enough to forgive them of it? You hope that they're going to love you enough to forgive you of yours, which I am certainly guilty of like, you know, heaping a whole lot of shit on my bandmates and my friends and my family. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm only human. human. Yeah, you're human. Yeah, and a but um, welcome to the club. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We, you know, as a band, we really truly love each other very much, and and through the years, time and time again, uh, each one of us has been carried across the finish line by another or by the whole group. And when you do that enough for each other enough times, there's a it's it's very hard to come to a moment where you just say fuck it i'm out of here you know right that, that's how it's very it's because you've just been in the trenches for so long you just uh you know you're doing anything for the people to the right and to the left of you for sure so that's how turk <laughs> well and it makes sense when you spoke earlier about how important family is to you so it doesn't surprise me that you would be in a band with a lot of members and and feel <laughs> that way about that you know it it makes perfect sense when you told me what you did I, about your family good training coming from a big sicilian family to yeah. be able to be in a crazy band all kinds of people <laughs> i i was i was trained well for i was gonna say you've been training for that your whole life so <laughs> yeah that was- so what do you think um we talked about being from a big family and how that helps so what do you think being from a place like buffalo and the city that it is of good neighbors so what do you think being Mm. from a city like buffalo has done for you personally 
but then maybe also for you in your career. Um, it's a great question. I have immense pride of being a Buffalonian. I always, I always will. Um, it's my home. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something to be said about when someone walks into uh, a building from a fucking blizzard <laughs> with three feet of snow and they're able to walk in with a smile on their face. Mm-hmm. I think that is hugely important to your attitude towards the things that you can't control um, and just sort of the nature of, of, of the ups and downs and the, and the crests and troughs of, of life. Um, there is a, a perseverance and sort of an insane optimism a completely insane mm-hmm. in the worst years of the Buffalo Bills <laughs> and the Buffalo City to just believe with all of your heart somewhere deep down that this is the year mm-hmm. when we're touring in Biloxi or Tuscaloosa or, or Fargo or these faraway places where you have no sleep and you have not been eating properly, you've been partying way too hard, but a full room of people shows up to see you. You have to have the ability to believe that you can go out there and you can play that show. You can score that touchdown, whatever. Mm-hmm. You have have that sort of same insane optimism that this is the night this is going to be the one that that i can do it that we can do it buffalo is a we city mm-hmm. um that i think if i had to if i had to say what growing up in buffalo has done for me what's done for my career is kindness and and a, a, a togetherness and knowing that it it's gonna take more than one it's gonna take more than yourself but I don't, I don't think any other city and any other people get as fired up about being a part of a community as buffalonians do mm-hmm. when you meet a buffalonian and i've met buffalonians literally all over the world the second that you meet a fellow buffalonian you're bonded for life it's like your old friends your old friends and you can talk about what happened on this street and this year and this place and at Marine Midland, whether it was Marine Midland or HSBC <laughs> or whatever the fuck it is now, yeah. and, you know, it's just yeah. this shared purpose of striving and pushing forward and pushing through that being in a tough industry, uh, like the music industry, it takes a lot of stick to yeah. and, uh, you know, I think that uh, being from Buffalo has armored me with everything I've needed to get to where I'm at in the music industry. And I'm, I still have a lot farther to go, but I know that 
uh, I know that I'm well equipped. Nice. That's a great, great answer. And it's so <laughs> true. It's so true. I mean, even though I was born and raised in North Carolina, my my parents were from Buffalo. So we yeah. were all always up here anyway. So I just said this to my husband the other day. It felt like I grew up here too. And yeah. I, I feel the same way. I just, I love this city so much. I really do. And the way uh, it's really like grown and rebirthed and I'm yes. really, really proud of us. I really am. I am too. That's part of the reason why I'm moving back is, is to be a part of uh, this seeming uh, seemingly like total new rebirth of the city and, and people's uh, belief in it. And it's so we're generation generationally, like a lot of us have gone away and decided that it's important to us to come back and to reinvest our time and our money and our energy and our love back into the city. And uh, it's really, really exciting because so many cool things are happening. I mean, you know, um, it's going to be a, a a major player again, and I'm really looking forward to a seeing it and and b you know hopefully being a part of it. Awesome, yeah. There's a lot going on with like the music scene around here too, so I'm sure it'll be exciting for you to come back and and be a part of that too. Yeah, I'm gonna get my feet wet a little bit. I know some people. Yeah, a couple few. Couple <laughs> two three people around the town that uh, you know. All right, well, let's talk about one person that you know around here that you've been working on a project with. So let's talk about some Death Kings. What's been going on with that lately? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so exciting. Yeah. I uh, I grew up listening to a lot of heavy music. Um, you know, Ryan, Mike, and I, we all come from sort of three points on the the rock and roll spectrum. Um, and each of us distinctly sort of has our own position on those three points. Um, and mine is, is sort of really from the, the heavy metal background, the really, you know, I, Mike really understands the punk thrash hardcore stuff, you know, Ryan shares that and also has a, has a really deep background in the lineage of it all. And I sort of show up, sort of somewhere in the middle um and i've always tried to add that sentiment to the things that i play uh in turquoise and in, and in other projects I, I i like to communicate that hard-hitting sentiment to most of what i do it's it's one of the things that uh sort of define my voice musically um and to finally be able to just fully do that and not have to um, kind of not hide it, but you know, Turquoise is a funk band. Right. T tone it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Play like straight up like metal shit. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> it's not what the tune calls for, and that's not being a, a tasteful artist, you know, but. Right. When, when, when this came around, you know, Mike and I had always uh, talked about the shared love that we have for bands like Them Crooked Vultures and uh, my favorite band, Queens of the Stone Age. Like that's, that band has changed my entire life when I first heard them. I saw, saw them live actually was the, the thing that changed my whole life. But Mike and I were on a drive from somewhere to somewhere 
And uh, and I was like, have you heard this album? And I just sort of put it on. And it was Them Crooked Vultures, which is Josh Homme and Dave Grohl and John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. And we, he was like, dude, fuck yes. And we just, <laughs> and like had banged out for like an hour and 20 minutes. And at that point on, we were sort of bonded in that. And it was like, someday we're going to play this kind of music together. And that was back in like 2016, I think. 2015 or 2016. We were playing like a side project thing that we had with Rob Compa from Dopapod. Um, and then... Uh, we, got, we sort of flew a little closer to it. Um, summer camp in 2018, we had the idea to do um, Green Day, the, the album Dookie, like all the way through. Um, and because of scheduling and this, that, and the other thing, it didn't come to pass. But we always knew that that sort of seed was sort of gestating in between the two of us. Um, and then when quarantine hit, uh, Mike hit me up and was like, I want you to check out some of these demos that I, that me and Stacy have been passing around. And I was at that point, I was just starving for anything musical to come into my universe. And, uh, I listened to it. I remember, I remember like the first demo he sent me, I had only listened to about 15 or 20 seconds of it. And I immediately sent him a message back like, dude, fuck. Yes. I need to be a part of this. I just, I, 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 I can hear myself playing this music. And I think he got kind of, he, he kind of like, he got hyped on it. And, uh, and they were like, all right, well, like, you know, you have a home studio and I did at the time and let's like try something. And so we started telephone tagging these recordings and it really started to make a ton of sense. And then there came a certain point, right? sort of earlier this year where uh i said this music is so is, is so important to me and it's important to all three of us i said i don't want to do this from a home studio there's a guy in syracuse new york named jocko randall who owns more sound studios i said he's the best at this he's recorded some of the best bands in this genre he knows this music i said i want to go to him and i want to do this so I booked a time with him. Mike came and we recorded in his gorgeous studio and, and got really just murderous, violent drum sounds. And we were like, all right, Mike, Ryan, here's the drum sounds. Let's all go to our respective studios and get it done. And so the album's about to be finished in like the next two weeks. That's exciting. Really, really exciting. And, uh, we just announced that our debut show is going to be uh, at Summer Camp Music Festival. Yes. <laughs> we're on Sunday. We're one of the last bands to play, and we're so thankful for that opportunity. And What stage uh, are you guys going to play on? Do you know yet? Uh, I was just curious if you were going to be able to do, like, the intimate punk show idea that Ryan was kind of hoping would manifest for your first show. Fine stage. Okay. And Sunday at, like, uh, to midnight or 2 a.m. or something it's gonna like if you know if uh if anybody's still living at that point of the festival <laughs> which i think enough people there i think it's gonna be a huge crowd but uh yeah there's definitely a chance to get up close and and to see us in that sort of sweaty rock and roll 
right up in your fucking face kind of vibe, which is, you know, sort of what we're going for. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm really, really excited about this because for me, this is a moment of uh, pure musical expression for me. This is not being filtered through anyone else's voice. This is not something where I'm taming myself or censoring myself. Mm-hmm. The way that I play this music in the studio and the way that I plan on playing it live is uh, with every bit of presence and with every bit of, of, of intensity that I have in me. And I have a lot. So I'm, I'm really ready, ready to, to, to kind of let it loose, you know, let this dog off the leash and, and let it hunt, you know. For sure. For sure. And I think it's so interesting how eclectic all of these things are that you play and all the other things that you've like announced or have done or all these different genres of music and all these different, you know, artists and everything else. Mm -hmm. So how do you prepare for that mentally, musically, like, how do you prepare for, I mean, there's so different, like different sides of your personality almost. So how do you get yourself in the stage of, okay, like you were just at Peach. And so you were, you had this show at Peach, but you're also working on Death Kings at the same time, which is completely different. So mm-hmm. how do you get into those different creative mindsets? Um. I think it's really, really important to, it's, it's, it's important to me to just be fully authentic in whatever it is I'm doing. And if that's sort of at the root of it, uh, I can change the, the color of the flag that I'm waving very easily. Um, but it's sort of still being sort of hoisted by the same rope. And, and that's, that's the, the, the place where it comes from with me is I, you know, I have a desperate need to perform. Uh, I love doing it and I need to do it. It's, it's one of the ways that I get to access my true joy. That's like where I am, you know, I'm fully myself in that moment and just getting to do that, that doesn't change based on which project it is, what artist is. The, the fun part for me is to be able to sort of be a chameleon and, and in those moments kind of flip things, figure out how to tweak um, either my performance or my attitude or my image or my look. Um, those things get to change to suit the many different things that I do, but it's all coming from, from the same uh, well of, of inspiration, which is, I'm just definitely put on this earth to play the drums. As long as I'm doing that, I'm okay. You know, (laughs) that's really what it comes down to. Um, so whether it's, it's, whether it's metal or rock and roll or tribute shows that I've produced in the past or, or shows at jazz fest where it's a super jam with all the baddest dudes or, you know, um, putting on the, the Alanis Morissette fundraiser that I do or whatever it is, as long as I'm playing the drums, generally I'm okay. The rest of it is just 
that's where I get to sort of have my fun with it is, is, you know, it's going to be Mikey. It's just which version of Mikey is it? And you just kind of just turn the dials a little bit. And I mean, that's the, that's sort of the fun part. That's the part about, you know, I, I think sort of being an artist is uh, f- figuring out how to communicate the, the, the universal, uh, non-words the things that like everybody feels but has like no way to say it's like mm-hmm. i get into these little channels and try my very best to to express them and to and, and to show the connectivity between all of us and all of these things so it's all just me <laughs> just a different side of you and it keeps yeah. it interesting you're not you're not getting bored that's for sure I'm definitely not getting bored. There, <laughs> That's what's fun- important. Yeah, there's there's a there's a funny thing that like kind of like makes sense. Uh, in the first Tenacious D record, <laughs> there's a skit where Jack Black says something like, "He's like, all right, it's gig time. What T-shirt am I gonna wear?" <laughs> That's it. That's exactly what it is. It's it's gig time. What T-shirt am I gonna wear? Am I, you know, if I'm playing a metal show, I'm gonna wear a queens of the stone age shirt or a motorhead shirt and if i'm playing something else i'm gonna have on a aretha shirt or a james brown shirt it's like those are all the little different veins that i get to live in and it's just such a joy to be able to access all those things and have the freedom and the opportunity to to just have fun it's all fun yeah this is a fun fun job (laughs) it really so you're put on this earth to play drums. When did you discover that that was your life purpose? At a Yanni concert at Marine Midland Arena in Buffalo, New York in 1993, I think. Are you serious? That's that serious. Okay, after we get off, I'm going to DM you a Yanni story because it's it's kind of embarrassing and I'm never going to put it on the air. So I'll DM no. it to you. And that's just really funny that you brought up Yanni. So. I'm a ride or die for Yanni. I love Yanni. Yanni's bad. Um, my grandfather, when I was very little, was one of my biggest supporters of being a musician from the age I was, you know, five, four or five years old. He gave me uh, Yanni live at the Acropolis, which is like Yanni's, I think, most like famous live album, or at least it was back then. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, you know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Yanni there was this one song on the album and it's, uh, I, I don't remember the name of it, but it's in an odd meter. It's like, it's in like seven, eight. And there's this one part where, yeah, it's in seven, eight. And there's like this drum fill that this drummer does on the record. That's like so epic. It's like a big giant, like Phil Collins, like earth shattering drum fill. And like, when I was a little kid, I would like play it on pots and pans or play it on the pillows. And then the Yanni tour came through Buffalo. And I got to go and I, the whole time I was dying to see that. I was hoping they were playing that song. I didn't know how live shows went. I didn't know that when you release a record, you tour on the record and you play the songs from the record. So I was like completely unsure if this was going to happen or not, but I was hoping that I was going to see this song live and they did it. And I, you know, I was following along in my head and, and humming along the melody and t- came time for that moment to happen where the drummer plays this big sort of through composed section and 
it was one of my first big concerts and there's something to be said about taking in a concert that's on a huge stage with huge lights, especially if you're young. I mean, it can, it can happen to anybody at any time. To, uh, to have that happen as a child is like really profound. And when that moment of that song came, all the lights on the rest of the band went out and it was like the drummer was just lit up and all of a sudden it was like, it was like seeing this, like, it was like this fortress. The drums like just formed this thing around this guy. And I just got so like turned on by that. And he played the fill and it was just so loud in this arena. And by the time he just like hit the one, it just, everything exploded for me. And it was like, that was it. Wow. That was like the moment where I was like, if I don't do that shit, for the rest of my life, I will be an unhappy person. <laughs> I just knew that wow. I knew I wanted to have that moment. I knew I, I just, I just knew, I just knew that like I could do that. And so I just started doing everything in my power to do that. And now I'm talking to you. So I guess. I, <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I guess you did it. <laughs> I got a lot of fear now. Too, but I think I think getting there I think I kind of got there yeah wow that's yeah. incredible that was- I mean yeah we what was it like eighth grade we were in together and you were already doing talent shows and battle the band and <laughs> all the things I was, I was on a mission you were already yeah, already playing with everybody you know even back in middle school and everything so it's no surprise no surprise it was the- it was, it was, I think it was out of my hands. I think it always has been out of my hands. I'm just sort of along for the ride. I'm just That's all right. I'm catching the wave, you know? <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> so what drummers are you influenced by now? Maybe when you were growing up and just learning your craft and, and maybe now too. Uh, growing up, Growing up, I was never very good at like listening to records. There's a lot of people that like a lot of musicians that talk about like how much these records uh, influence them as kids. I don't seem to really have a lot of memories of like a lot of that, that experience or having like albums that like stuck with me and stuff. There was, it was more my teachers. Uh, I had two really good teachers in Buffalo, um, a guy named Rob Lynch and a guy named John Bacon. Those guys had a really profound effect on me because I was engaging in the act of drumming with them and sort of them alone. So their guidance and their approval and their discipline um, was sort of everything to me in the beginning. Um, it was only when I think I got to high school, um, when I was in the, the, the jazz band, the concert band. Uh, the all county stuff, the all state stuff uh, at St. Joe's, where I really started to like think about who I was listening to and what effect it was having on me. Um, and back then it was like, um, it was a lot of jazz. It was a lot of stuff that had sort of come from my grandfather, um, stuff that had come from my mother. My mother was always listening to uh, Earth, Wind and Fire in the house. Um, my dad listened to a lot of Barry White. There was always like funk happening. It was always like a lot of good black music that was happening that I was uh, exposed to at, at a pretty young age. 
Um, then uh, it really became apparent to me that really like what I pay attention to is sort of like what's in front of me. And when I got to, when I moved to Boston in 2006, the first drummer that like I became really attached to spiritually was Nikki Glaspie. Nikki is the drummer of the Nth Power and uh, of Maceo Parker and was the drummer of Beyonce and uh, is just like, to me, uh, probably the most important drummer in my life in terms of attitude and style and nerve and um, just the way that she carries herself on stage. Uh, I used to watch her at this club down the street from the college, it was called Wally's. <clears throat> Wally's uh, for a lot of like the, the, Wally's is legendary in Boston. Wally's has a lot to do with uh, bands like Lettuce and Soul Live um, and Sam Kininger and, and, and Nikki and her crew and the ABs, the, the cats that are in Boston to this day, um, Aaron and Amy Bellamy. And there was something about watching Nikki play. Uh, Nikki plays with absolute command. She, she commands not only the drums, um, but the stage and, and the band that she's with in a way that's not overtly aggressive or overbearing. It's just, it's, there's a trust there. Everyone just knows that she's putting it right where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. No question where the groove is. There's no question where the time is at. It's like Nikki was always there. And she had a way of communicating with her face what was coming, what should come. Uh, I just took the most, the, the, she was the most transformative drummer for me in my whole life was Nikki. Uh, there's a lot about myself as a drummer that I think um, is absolutely and unquestionably due to being brought up under, under Nikki. Um, and the other person that's had, you know, as equal as effect on me is Sput, Robert Sput Seawright, the drummer of Ghost Note. Mm -hmm. But I met um, in Brooklyn. He came into a club I was playing at uh, in, I think, 2014, maybe 2013. And uh, they were doing something with Snarky Puppy. Um, and at that point, I didn't know who Snarky Puppy was, but they stopped in for like a drink and we're checking out this band and it was us and Spud just kind of came through and like, he was like, yo, we all got, we got to stick around. He's like, I got to talk to this drummer. And we ended up like hitting it off that night and, and always kind of just sort of stayed in touch. And when I found out who he was and what he's done, I was like, oh shit, dude. <laughs> You're like this, flattered, like, oh, you want to meet me? Oh, okay. This dude is a really, really heavy dude. And and that started a relationship of very direct 
mentorship and I mean, if, 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 if I was going to describe like the relationship that I have with Sput, it's so interesting because it's brother and it's also uncle and it's teacher and mentor and like fellow goofball, <laughs> you know, Sput and I have done a bunch of like really stupid wild shit together. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's also taught me a lot about this industry, um, a lot about authenticity and uh about fatherhood and brotherhood and and mentorship and friendship he's been a very very important person in in my growth as not only a drummer and musician but uh but as like a a human being you know i think if i was going to say that there was two people that did it i think it was nikki and and sput really have had the most profound effect on me that's incredible. So then what would you say has been the greatest piece of advice that maybe either one of, of them gave you? What says, stay ready, ain't got to get ready. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's really, really have been, has been <clears throat> incredibly important to me because there's a lot of situations in this industry where, um, and in life in general, Mm -hmm. where things are just going to come your way and uh the ones that are sort of ready to catch the ball or ready to throw the ball or whatever those are the ones that are seen they're seen as the lucky ones i think a lot of the time the lucky ones are like oh you've got this opportunity a lot of people get those opportunities and they drop the ball because they're not ready for it mm -hmm. but Sput has just always said stay ready doesn't have to get ready and and being of that mindset musically um, has has really uh, put a lot of food on my plate. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, it's it's uh, if you just sort of you know if you played, I could give you four Spotify tracks of mine that are completely different musically, and almost all of them came about because I was ready to do that kind of music because I was listening to everything. I was practicing everything. I wasn't uh, pigeonholing myself or, or sort of burying my head in the sand, so to speak. I was always trying to be present, always keeping my chops and my skills and my ears as open as I could. And that was how I interpreted what he told me. Um, that's been one of the most important things that can apply to anybody in the world absolutely just stay ready doesn't have to get ready there's no time where you're like oh shit where's my stuff it's like it's all on you it's like you got it you're ready to go mm -hmm. moments happen like that and if you're not ready they're going to move on to the next one very very fast and if you yeah. can't yes i can like that it's on to the next and you're in the dust yeah. so that's been a really important thing for me and Nikki, uh, I, I think I can't name, I can't give you a direct quote from Nikki, but what the one thing that I've always seen Nikki do, which has been extremely important is as an artist, I think she plays music that means something to her. That uh, to me, that means that like in this vocation of being a musician, 
the opportunity that you're given, the blessing that you're given to be able to do this, um, the reciprocity in that requires of you to be authentic and to, and to play what you know you can give some meaning to. Mm-hmm. And I think Nikki has always done that. And that's something that I, I hold dear to me. You know, if someone asked me, and I've actually done this in real life, people have called me and said like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm doing a reggae record. I want you to be my drummer. And I will tell them flat out, I really appreciate you calling me. I don't know shit about how to play real reggae. And I don't want to do it just justice. And like, mm-hmm. I will be, you know, like second guessing myself and just shitting all over your music. So here's the number of this guy, this guy, this girl, this guy. This is the people that can really do it. I can't do it. Um, that, that, that example that she has set of authenticity and following your heart and um, sort of speaking with, with your true vocabulary uh, is something that's guided me in the choices that I've made and the places that it's uh, since put me in. Um, I love Nikki. She's like know a Nikki really Glass, badass girl. I have, I have not checked her out very much, except for you. You are the reason why I started seeking her out some more. And I was like, oh, this is who she is. I'm like, yeah. damn. All right. Very, she's, a, she's a very important um, person right now in, in music and uh, in this world. She's a beacon of music and love. And I think those are the two most important things going on right now. So hundred percent. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you brought her up and we talked about her a little bit before too. So I'm grateful for that. Cause like I said, I didn't know much about her. And so I'm really glad that I've learned yeah, some more about her. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter she's, was really stoked about it too. She's, she's a keyboard player. She's been taking lessons with Joel all during quarantine. And yeah. so she thinks that, you know, female rock stars are really awesome. So I, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really important thing. And, and, and uh, I think it was Jennifer Hartswick that said something on Instagram just recently that really struck a chord. Yes. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. She, she cannot wait till the day comes that an all female band is not seen as like a thing or like, yeah. it's not, it just should be. It's just a band. It's just a band of incredible musicians. That's that those things, you know, I feel that way about anything. It should never be like a, when you're describing something, you know, should never be like a female astronaut or female. What it's just like, it's like, we don't say male astronaut, male, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's that's something that I've, I've actually, it's become like a, a, like a, a, a standard retort for me, but like, people say like to me like oh Nikki Glaspie she's the she's the best female drummer and I'm like motherfucker she's the best drummer drummer period why like why are we talking about that she's the best drummer when she's playing the drums all the dudes are all standing around like yeah yeah (laughs) she's owning the room so who like so who's really fucking in charge here like what are we talking about you know what I mean yes and, and you know we're 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 not there yet, but but to hear that your daughter is 
psyched about seeing someone do what she does and seeing it on a, on a level that allows her to dream is the most important thing that, that, that you can do in terms of setting an example is making dreams reality for people. That's, that's just like, what a, what a gift. And, and Nikki just does it with such grace. That's just like, it's just fucking dope. And that's why she's my favorite musician. Yeah. I hope I get to see her play live now that music is back again. Cause I would love you will, that. You will. I, I can almost guarantee it. <laughs> so what is something that you never leave home for tour without besides equipment, of course, but what is something that like is personally like really important to you that you take with you? Hmm. Deodorant. <laughs> That's just to be nice to your bandmates, right? That's just for the courtesy of your bandmates. <laughs> You're on week seven of a bus tour. Deodorant, human decency. Um, what's something I always take with me? Um, I travel light. But hmm. that's such a good question. There's not anything that I've been doing this for a, a pretty long time. I can't say that there's one thing that I have always carried with me. Um, If we're gonna get like metaphysical with it or spiritual for a second, I think uh, I'm so here for that. So go right ahead. <laughs> right. I think if there's, I don't think there's anything physical that uh, one item that I've always carried with me since I was 17. I've been doing this since professionally since I was 17. I'm about to turn 36, so that's like 18 years. There's no one item that I've always had with me that stuck with me that whole time, but. Um, a conversation, an open line of conversation with, with the outside world, with the universe, with be it uh, God or a creator or anything, a white fluffy rabbit, whatever the fuck it is, something that you need to talk to. Um, mm -hmm. Honestly, I would say that's the one thing that I've always carried with me is um a willingness to in private moments um have a little humility and to admit almost you know i mean i grew up catholic it's almost like uh it's almost like confession but to be able to have a time and a, and a place to exhale mm -hmm. To maybe cry if you have to. I mean, it's a very emotional thing to do, to be traveling, to not be in a home, like to not have these things that so many people take for granted, sleep in the same bed every night, um, showering in your own bathroom, you yeah. know? all those kinds of things being a musician is kind of a weird it's a weird choice to make but we make it for a reason with it comes the invitation to be connected to something that's 
um, I don't know, they're plain or otherworldly or whatever you want to call it. And I think the one thing I've always had is a willingness to just sort of uh, talk to somebody or something that's maybe like a man in the sky or something like that, but um, a place to go where you can really let it all out because uh, it's really easy to empty out your cup mm-hmm. as a performer. And uh, it takes a lot of really hard, sh- it's taken me a lot of hard, really shitty lessons to, to learn that you have to take time to refill it that you're not invincible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's actually, I mean, music is the one thing that is sort of like never ever turned its back on me or has given up on me as much shit as I've sort of put it through or my life surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess I would call it faith is the one thing that like, I've always been able to like carry with me doesn't take up any room in my luggage you know yeah no one, and it's the no, most important thing to carry though for sure it's because because when it really comes down to it if when you're when you're in a a, a, a green room that's actually a closet and there's 11 of you and, and no one has any room to change or to get ready or to feel comfortable or to just like pick their fucking nose it's like everyone is just asses to elbows and you've been doing that for so long and you haven't seen your loved ones or your family for god knows how long it's freezing and you're not getting paid it's like to be able to just like say man i really hope this goes well and i'm really happy to be here and i'm sorry for acting like an asshole last night you know and you just get to put that out there it, it it saves your life sometimes. I know it, it definitely sort of saved mine in a, in a major way. So I would say that's what I've always carried with. That's what I never leave home without. Your faith. Well, and, and it's great to have those conversations. You, you know, sometimes it helps you realize, you know, where you need to maybe show up better or, you know, whatever. So it's, it's very important to have that relationship because at the end of your days, it's you and you and whatever you believe it is whatever you call it. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So that's that. That's and very, very, yeah. So you play with so many people. If you could choose anybody to play with living or dead, this is totally cool. Ooh. If you could play with anybody, I'm so here for the hard questions. Jeez. <laughs> anybody. Oh, wow. This is so hard, sir. (laughs) Question. You're like, damn it. I should have asked for questions beforehand so I could have prepared. (laughs) I know. We should have prepped for this. I need my attorney. Where's my attorney? (laughs) Oh, boy. If I could play with anybody. You know, uh, I really 
when I play drum double drums with Sput, there's something that's like just so special to me about that. If I could play with anybody right now, I would just love to play double drums with Sput. I miss, I haven't seen Sput in a long time. The longest we've been physically away from each other. Um, and we had a lot of long phone conversations during quarantine and we're involved in a lot of things together during that time that were non-musical, that were uh, social justice based and based in, you know, uh, race relations and Black Lives Matter. And we, uh, it was just a couple of times I just remember having phone conversations with him where he would call me and, and out of nowhere, we wouldn't talk to him for a little while and he'd just be like, man, I just want to tell you, I love you. And those like moments uh, were never more clear to me than we were playing the drums together. When we were playing the drums together, it is just like this, this feeling of just like joy and, and freedom and purpose that really gives me like everything I need to keep going. And uh, I miss that a lot. So if there was any, if there's anybody I could play with right now, it would be Spud. Nice. Nice. Hopefully you guys will be able to play together soon though. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Nice. Nice. It's really warm. <laughs> so what are some things that you're into that are not music related? Hmm. Um, I like to read. Uh, I'm a big fan of Alan Watts. Uh, I read a lot of his books. I listen to his lectures. Uh, I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that is true. So <laughs> walks on the beach are so sick. <laughs> <laughs> Get a nice beach. sunset going. Yeah, fuck like, yeah. Doesn't like long walks on the beach. Um, I uh, I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, it's uh, it changes. So, I mean, you know, like some like sometimes things sort of come in and out of my life. Um, you know, like, I guess you would call them like hobbies. Um, I've always played golf. I, I've been a golfer since I was the same age. I started playing drums, which is like five years old. Um, I like fighting. I like boxing. Um, I like getting beat up and beating other people up. I think that's really fun as a sport, not never as a thing that happened for some stupid reason. Uh, I like being competitive I like I have a competitive nature to me um I like to hit things so that drumming fighting thing sort of as a as a yeah you're saying that and I'm like yep makes sense okay yeah. <laughs> um I love to cook uh I grew up around uh restaurants and families with restaurants and hospitality and so uh food is a big passion of mine um and uh yeah, I think that's it. Nice. Maybe I'll crocheting or something, but for now, <laughs> I'm in, I, I nice like little that. like side business scarves by Mikey. That'd be cool. I mean, you know, <laughs> if I could start selling that on Etsy and 
get all my other musician friends to buy my scarves. Maybe I'd get to buy that. Uh, I don't know what do I, I don't know what I want. Maybe, maybe a jet ski. I kind of want a jet ski. <laughs> there you go. Just like help support my jet ski fund. <laughs> yeah, just make scarves for jet skis. I like it. That's the name of my sense. new book for me. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Oh, I do like that. <laughs> right, do it. Do it. So let's talk about Umphreys McGee. So have you seen them live? I never assume because some people are like, actually, I've never seen them live. And I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) We've we've, Turquoise has opened for Umphreys at Red Rocks before. Yes, I was there. I was going to get to that because I hadn't seen you play drums since like eighth grade. And so like all this life happens. And then (laughs) I go to Red Rocks for the very first time. My first time at Red Rocks, this iconic venue. And then the drummer of the opening band, (laughs) like, it was like, what the hell? This is so fucking crazy right now. <laughs> that, is, that is completely crazy. Um, yes, I've seen them uh, in that moment and, you know, playing all the festivals that we've always sort of like run into each other at the way that it, the festival season works. It's like, you know, all the bands go off on their fall and their spring and their winter tours individually. And then the summer season is festival season. And that's like, one five month long summer camp where we all get to like meet back up and like check in with each other and find out how everybody's doing and see our bands play. And so I've seen, I've seen Humphreys, uh, you know, at least a dozen times. Um, Humphreys is, uh, sort of a placeholder for me, the way I see, um, you know, how to carry yourself as a musician. Um, I think those guys care a lot individually about how they sound. I think they bring that into a band setting, which uh, only elevates the sound of the band. And I have a lot of I have a lot of individual respect for each of them for for holding themselves to that standard individually, and that as a band they have developed a voice which is theirs. I think there's not a time I've been at a festival where. Umphreys is playing and I'm unable to pick out that it's Umphreys. Every time Umphreys has been always like, that's on. I know what that sound is. Mm-hmm. And that's a testament to their time, their miles together. That's something that they've cultivated. Um, also, they're, they're, they hold themselves to a high standard musically, but also uh, I, I really respect their aesthetic in marketing they're very smart business people they have a really really good team and even the musicians themselves especially you know my closest relationship is with ryan and stasic has an eye and and an imagination and a color palette in his mind that's going where he sees these things and the second that you make them reality they, they come alive like he's he's very um He's very prolific, uh, not just with his hands and music, but with his eyes and, and his mind. I think all of them sort of have cultivated a thing where like their merch sticks out amongst others. Their merch doesn't feel hidden to me. Like it's a lot of bands are like, oh, did you see me? I was wearing this shirt. And I'm like, no, I didn't fucking see that. But like, if, if like some, if someone is wearing their gear, like I see it and mm-hmm. To, to be successful and to sustain in this industry takes that. And, and I think they have it in spades. And 
Um, basically, I think that that's something that I strive to 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 be as a as a musician and, and for my own band is is to achieve that level of intelligence um, and maturity and wisdom. Um, taking all of their miles into account and turning that into an experience that a fans can engage in and music lovers can engage in. But let's face it, this is a business and this is how we pay our bills and feed our families and they, they do well at it. And it's something that I respect as a business person myself, mm -hmm. watch carry themselves. I think there's a lot to learn from an organization like that. And, also, you can just go up and talk to them individually, and they're like really cool people. That's more important than anything else. But I think the culmination of all those things makes them that much larger than life to me. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. That's what I love and about them is they're so personable. They rock super hard too. Of course, I love. I love that. You know, I played. I played like a funny little like a. Uh, it was the it was the jam bass twenty year anniversary party at Sweetwater in, in Mill Valley, California. And it was like me and Jen Hartswick and Kraz was there and Joel was there. And like, we played music that was like, we'd never played together before. We just had such a good time. And then like, we were just like sitting on a park bench, like outside was like chatting about having babies and stuff. And it's just, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're real human beings. And it's sometimes it's, you know, when you see someone on stage and there's lights, and there's sound and it's so big, you forget that like, this is a human being that has mm -hmm. a home to go to and a family and they're, 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 they're not normal, but they're human. And, and it's so easy to forget that. But like, like you said, they're so approachable and they're, they're just, they're, they're like good human beings. That's the most important thing. They're good human beings. I really, really love that about them. That's what I take from them mostly as inspiration is how they're able to do what they love and have been so successful at it with which that in itself, like you said, is a testament for anyone, you know, living yeah. your life and doing what you love yes. and being able to provide for your family, but not being a stereotypical rock star. Yeah. They have sacrifices. Things that you, that you hear, it's like they rage these shows and then they go to their kids little league you know like you know, like ryan's like whole thing with like like his little girls and his wife is like <laughs> it's like basically yeah. what i'm trying to do yeah if I'm lucky enough to be a father like i'm taking like so many pages out of stasic's book because like he's just he's he's doing it right and he's you know he has a an amazing wife who's uh probably props ryan up <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very powerful woman. And it's like, yeah, she know. is. She's incredible. I'm yeah. very lucky to call her a dear friend of mine. And she's, yeah. she's an incredible woman. She's yeah. a goddess. I tell her all the time. She's a goddess. She really is. Yeah, her show is here on HGTV breaking bland. I know. I'm so excited. It's on my birthday it's, too. So I'm going to like sit it? and eat cake and watch it. <laughs> on fourth, right? That's your birthday. Yeah. That's my birthday. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, they're, they're a, a, a blessed bunch of human beings and I'm, and I'm happy that, uh, that my friendship with, with them and that family and that, that tribe is just starting to blossom. I think there's a lot I can gain from, from being around people like that. 
for sure. So yeah. talk a little bit about Chris Myers then as a drummer. Chris is a bad boy. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Chris is a bad boy. Yeah. I've seen Chris uh, in a lot of different situations. I've seen him put on clinics. I've seen him play straight ahead music. I've seen him play crazy fusion shit. I've seen him play completely improvised shit. I've seen him play pretty much anything. And uh, I see that he has that fluidity that, that, you know, he's really, he's done his homework. He knows what's going on. He, he has a, a respect for his craft and he tries to hold himself to a, a standard similar to my own where I always want to do my, my best. I know that it's coming from me and that all that I have to do is sort of uh, turn a couple of knobs to make sure that I, I hit that one thing right. And, and the fact that he's um, at a young age as prolific as he is, is something that I'm constantly impressed with and, and uh, something that I respect a lot about him. He's a great drummer. He's a great dude too. We've had a lot of fun. We've had a lot of stupid giggles all over the, all over the country. You know, he's a, He's a good dude. Chris is a great guy and a great drummer. I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah. So if you could replace him on the kit for an Umphreys tune, have you ever thought about what tune you'd like to play with them? I want to do their Led Zeppelin show with me. Ooh. I have thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> that answer you had right away. <laughs> I, I was ready for that. I didn't know you were going to ask that. I was super ready. Uh, I've seen them. I saw them. God, Jason Bonham was there that year that you guys were there. Yes, he was. Oh, shit, man. Yeah, that was. Uh, uh, uh oh, did I just go black for a second? Am I still there? Yeah, there you are now. (laughs) No, you're good. (laughs) Uh, Getting to watch that was was really special. That music is very Led Zeppelin is very very important to me and and to my uh, growth and to my style john bonham is is one of my favorite drummers of all time in in the lexicon of like legendary drummers he's it's you know sort of him and clyde stubblefield james brown's guy like as the two if you had to sort of pick out where i come from it's it's really those two things and to see that music reproduced in such a way like i remember being at the show just being so excited to be feeling it there's a certain thing about listening to a record that's great, but being at a concert, one of the things like science-wise, like what you're experiencing at a concert um, is air is being pushed at you. You're physically being hit with air at different vibrations and that creates a different sensation. To physically feel Led Zeppelin in that way was like so fucking awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was so (laughs) And I just wanted to be back there. I, like, I just wanted to be back there and I wanted to be the one hitting the drums. So <laughs> if there's ever a time, gentlemen, if you're listening, gentlemen, <laughs> you're listening. Uh, if Chris, you know, catches COVID again, I'll jump that Zeppelin set for sure. That's where I'm, that's where I'm at. <laughs> nice, nice. So were, did you get to meet Jason Bonham? I did not. I, uh, I had had a couple of beers and I decided that it was not time to talk to Jason Bonham. Yeah. Professional decision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. And I think uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was for the best. Um, maybe someday I'll meet him. Maybe someday I won't, but uh, 
I rocked really hard at that show and then I went home and went to bed. And so <laughs> that's, I sort of put that night, I enjoyed it. I rocked out, I opened for them. And it was great. And then I went to bed as a good boy should, right? Exactly. But what is that phrase? Nothing good happens after 2 a.m. or something like that. The only, the only <laughs> thing open after 2 a.m. are emergency rooms and legs. I've heard I've heard someone's old salty man at a bar say that one time. I've been is in that, both places. Both are pretty wild. <laughs> especially at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so was that the first time Turquoise played Red Rocks? No, we had opened for uh, we opened for Lettuce at Red Rocks in two thousand and was it twenty twenty one? I think it was twenty seventeen. I think it was the first year. I think Umbreeze was a year after that. We had another year with uh, Green Sky Bluegrass. I played Red Rocks separately with um, Oregon Freeman when I was playing in drums for Oregon Freeman for a while. Um, so that wasn't the first time, but, uh, every time you get to go back, it's, it's a magical experience. It's Red Rocks. Yeah. It's, it's Red Rocks. Yeah. It's like the, it's like Mecca. So besides there, what are, what have been some of your other favorite venues to play? Hmm. Uh, let's see. The Fillmore in San Francisco is, uh, a room that just has a ton of ghosts and a ton of history in it mm -hmm. playing there is uh, I always feel like a little something kind of special there um, for me playing at town ballroom in Buffalo is something that I always heard about when I was a kid mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't know if it would ever happen for me as a young kid um, I just didn't know if it was in the cards um, that was that was really special every time we've played there and, and, you know, the city of Buffalo has always come out and supported myself and the band, uh, in a big way. And it's always meant a lot to me. Um, the blue note jazz club in Tokyo is, will always remain a place in my heart that like really changed my, changed my life in, a, in an amazing way is playing, you know, we did two nights at the blue note in Tokyo and, that was something where it was playing for an audience that's completely different than a raucous uh, American audience. It was, it's a sit down jazz club and they're sitting down and they're intently paying attention to your every move, everyone's move. They're listening. It's actively listening room. And that's a really different situation to be in. Mm-hmm. And it changed the way that we played and eventually, which was maybe the most joyous part of the night was by the end, everyone in the audience disregarded the rule that like, you're supposed to just sit there and, and clap and they were all up and dancing. And you could see there was sort of this energy where they like, they were like, is this cool? Like, are we, can we be doing this? Like they're looking at each other, like what the fuck are we doing here? But like, they were just like freaking out and dancing and clapping. And like, it was this, there was this very palpable cultural exchange of, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna sort of play by your rules for a little bit. And we're gonna see if, if, if we can do that, if, we, if we're capable of doing that. And we were, and we got so excited and they got so excited that then they were like, all right, we're gonna play by your rules and we're gonna get up and like freak out. And, and it was just such a beautiful two nights of, of 
music. Those recordings are on on Nugs, and you can still hear them, and you can hear the sort of the energy in the room. Uh, that was a very special place to play. It was a special place to visit and a special place to play. We're going to be back there in in 2022, and I really can't wait. That was uh, life changing. And then anytime you play in New Orleans during Jazz Fest, Jazz Fest and Jam Cruise, those two moments are always like everyone is just there for the music. There's like no one in the room that's like looking to see if the football game is on TV. Everyone is like, that's what they live for. The musicians and the patrons, there's no difference between the stage and the audiences. We're all there to just get down on the same thing. Anytime you're at Jazz Fest or Jam Cruise, those two parties are uh, something I always look forward to every year. That's cool. I want to yeah. go to Jazz Fest so bad. I just want to go to New Orleans anyways, but it's on Do the bucket it. list. Do it. Okay. All right. Seriously. Okay. I'm doing more of that. Like now that everything's starting to open up more now, I'm just like, do it. We're doing it. Let's go. <laughs> yes. Just keep saying yes. The more you say yes, the better it gets. Universe will figure out a way to provide you to get there. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's everything I have. That's great. This has been a lot of- really appreciate this has been a lot of fun this has been so so much fun so thank you for taking the time to do this thank you it means a lot i appreciate it yeah is there anything you want to share or promote or anything before we wrap it all up uh go to death kings official uh on instagram um also the death kings facebook page also obviously my band turquoise band you can follow us on instagram and facebook um, follow my two boys in Death Kings, Mike Ganser and Ryan Stasick. Um, and uh, our album is coming soon. It'll be out, I think, probably August, um, hopefully around the time of summer camp. Um, and please, if you're at summer camp, come and see Death Kings uh, and keep your ears and your eyes open because we're coming for you. I can't wait. I'm so here for it. I'm excited. I'm trying to get to summer camp. And then we saw that yes, the other day, my husband's like, death Kings. I'm like, no, here we go. I guess we're going. going, I'll see you there. I mean, you, you and Ganser are going to be here now. So, I mean, you could always play death Kings in Buffalo. Just saying. Definitely going to be happening. There's going to be a, that's going to be one of the places we plant our big flag is our home city of Buffalo, New York. So you'll see us there. You need anything. I'm here for it. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you. Thank you very much for everything. Yeah. Thank you. This was really wonderful. It was. Thank you. All right. Well, when you're back in town, hit me up. I will for sure. All right. Well, have a great rest of your night. You too. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. That's everything that I have for this week of the show. Thank you again to Mikey for taking the time to chat. Like I said, this was so much fun and it was so great to catch up. I'm really looking forward to crossing paths now that you're back in Buffalo and I can't wait to see what you got cooking up with people playing here in town and stuff. I'm super, super excited about it. There are a bunch of links in the show notes for anything Mikey or I may have referenced throughout our chat, including all things Death Kings and where you can give them a follow on social. Also, tucked inside the show notes, you'll find links for where you can binge on past episodes, book a conversation, and be a guest here on the show, snag some DATC merch, and so much more, so make sure you check all of that out. 
Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love.